And I have this weakness for tomato sandwiches. I don't know if anybody else has that weakness, but it's a real weakness. It's like a drug for me. I just love them. And uh, a lady had brought me some heirloom tomatoes. You know what heirloom tomatoes are? They're like different colors, and they have a big old hole in the middle of them usually. And there's a whole lot of meat around the outside. And if you cut them just right, they're perfect. Well, I liked, I liked to have a good heirloom tomato sandwich. And so this lady brought me three of them on a Wednesday. And so you know what you do when you get a tomato in the summertime? You put them in the window until you have that magical moment when you can get it and begin to cut it up and eat it. And I was kind of saving it, you know, and so I just kind of waited and I'd look at it every afternoon and every evening. And the weekend is really hard for pastors usually. You're visiting a lot on Saturday and then on Sunday. We, I was pastoring two churches then. Most of my ministry, I pastored two churches. And uh, the Lord's just given me a unique uh, blessing of energy. I almost never get tired and I almost never run out of energy. My wife says, Mark, you have two speeds, fast and off. <laughs> and, uh, and so she says, I'm like that old doll back in the 80s that, that eyes are open and you lean it back, the eyes go shut. I can't remember, I can't remember ever watching a whole movie with my family in my house. I fall asleep. I, I just never get them done. And so I, I, was, uh, I was tired. Sunday was a big day. I usually had staff meeting on Sunday morning, and then we'd go to uh, the church, uh, the South Side Church, which is on the south side of St. Louis, and we had worship there. We were trying to regenerate a, a dying church. And then we'd drive in and go to church on Sunday morning at the larger church, the Southwest Church. And, um, and then uh, Sunday night, I'd go back uh, to the south, Southwest Church because they had Sunday school. And Saturday night, we had Sunday school in the South Side Church. So uh, Sunday was a really busy day for me. I had two counseling sessions in the afternoon. I had one after church that evening. And we, we did a, um, a nursing home ministry every Sunday afternoon. My daughter and I, we'd go together, Katie and I, to this nursing home, and she'd play the piano, and I would preach, and we would roll the people out every Sunday. It was one of the most enjoyable things I ever did in ministry. And um, man, all week I'm noticing that tomato, because every time I drive up into my driveway, I could see them in the window. And I'm anticipating, I mean, like Heinz ketchup. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I could taste that in my mouth. And I don't eat a lot of those. I just maybe eat two or three tomato sandwiches a summer, because most tomatoes you find are not worthy of a good tomato sandwich. And so, so I just keep watching and watching. And, and this was one of those kind of purple-red heirlooms. That the riper they get, the more purple they get, you know. And, and, and finally, I couldn't think of anything else until, I mean, all day Sunday, I'm thinking about that tomato sandwich. And, and so I, I, I came home. Now, Katie, you have to understand, I'm, I'm walking home from the office after my last counseling service, totally exhausted. And the only thing that got me through that day was that tomato sandwich. And I'm walking back to my, lip, to my back door, which the church was connected, not exactly, but it was in the same basic property. And, uh, and Katie, my little girl, followed me around a lot. Uh, Katie and I had a really special relationship because Katie was born with a lot of sicknesses and illness. She was, she was born with pancreatic tumors. Uh, she had her first uh, subtotal pancreatectomy when she was nine months old. There's only about a 25% chance she would even survive the surgery. We went to New Orleans to Ochsner's Clinic, which is a children's um, kind of a surgical unit specialty all over the United States. And we stayed there for 30 days. In fact, we were there through Thanksgiving. And they gave me, um, uh, we do something in the United States called a turkey dinner. And it's kind of a classic thing. You have turkey and you have mashed potatoes and you have usually sweet potatoes and you usually have stuffing. 
and you usually have cranberry sauce. And I went to New Orleans and we ordered it Thanksgiving because we were in the hospital at Thanksgiving with Katie. She'd had her surgery, getting better. And they gave us all that except in the stuffing there was Creole, shrimp Creole. I thought that was odd. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't anticipate that. But Katie had the surgery and they told us that Katie would never walk, talk, or sit up. And we'd be very fortunate if she lived to be three years old. She was nine months old. She's had about 500 grandma seizures. If you're a nurse, you understand what no, normal blood sugars are between like 70 and 120. Katie's blood sugar was never above 20 for the first like three years of her life. Never. Even with a glucose, solid glucose strip, they couldn't get her blood sugar above 20. She had so much insulin produced through her pancreas. And so we just knew that Katie would be with us our whole lives. And so I, I, Katie was a very special child. I had a lot of time with her because she was always sick. When she was in the hospital, uh, there when, when we were in Little Rock and in St. Louis, one of us had to stay in the, in the hospital with her 24-7 because of her condition. The doctor said, you need to be there, one of you. So I would, co I would be there at night and come in at about 9 or 10 o'clock at night and then stay until about 6 in the morning, sleep there, then I'd go, and my wife would come in and spend the day. And I had a really close relationship with Katie, and Katie was always following me around. In fact, Katie's doctor in North Little Rock was Dr. Joycelyn Elder. Some of you may remember she was the Surgeon General for the United States once, and she became her doctor, and that wasn't a really great experience. <laughs> Uh, when your kid is sick and dying, there's no good experiences, hardly. And, um, man, I remember us praying, praying. I remember going to the chapel every day. My wife, we'd hear the doctor, and the doctor would say, well, Katie's probably not going to make it. And if she does, she's going to live a horrible uh, paraplegic life. So we'd go to the, to, the, to the chapel and pray, oh, God, we want her. But if, if you want to take her, we don't want her to live a horrible life. We'll, we'll, we'll love her if you let, her, let us keep her. Then we'd go back and another doctor would come in and he'd say, well, you know, she, she, she may get through this. And, and they, were, they were like partners, these two doctors. It was like Mutt and Jeff. I was like, one was telling us good things, other was telling us bad things. And we were so confused. And God must have been very confused because we prayed to take her, save her, take her, save her, take her, save her. You know, and finally we just said, God, you just do what you want to do. But I, Katie was always with me in ministry. I mean, she would go with me to Bible studies during the day. And whenever I went to the hospital, I'd take Katie with me to the hospital. And she would always pray for people. She's a very special child. She's like an old woman when she was five. She was just calm and quiet and peaceful and just an amazing, the most introverted human I've ever met on the planet. That's my Katie. Well, wherever I was at, she's that kid that would always follow you around, you know. And if you're not careful, you'll step on her. Because, you know, she's always closer than you think she is. Anybody have a kid like that? She just, that's just my kid, you know. And, and so I'm walking home from church that night after that long day, and I'm thinking about that tomato sandwich, and I open the door, and as I walk in, I see the light shining on the tomatoes, and I look at the one in the middle, the purple and red one, and I, I get in the house, and Katie's just walking. I mean, she's just right beside me. I almost tripped over a couple times. I walk in the kitchen, I grab the tomato, and I walk over to the counter, and I slice it. Only two cuts. Top, bottom, the rest is about probably an inch of tomato. It had that beautiful red, rich purple color in it. <laughs> and then I took, put two pieces of toast in the toaster. And, and as I'm standing there, Katie pulls on my jacket. I look down and she said, Daddy, I really love going to the nursing home with you. That's a lot of fun. I just want you to know, I love going to the nursing home with you. I said, well, I like going with you too, Katie. Yeah, yeah. I go over and I grab the mayonnaise out of the refrigerator. And I pull the mayonnaise out and and then I get over there, get ready to open the mayonnaise, and she pulls on my jacket again. I look down. She said, Daddy, she said, I love, I love going to, to the Bible study with you over to Illinois and, and uh, having a Bible study. It's so much fun to be with you. I, I, I love it when we do things like that together. I love it when others go with us. And I said, well, good, Katie. I like that too. And I go over. And so the, the toast pops out. 
And you know, it has that aroma that, you gotta know about a tomato sandwich. You have to toast it just right. You can't over toast it. You see, you toast it the amount that when they put the tomato and the juice on it, the one side gets soggy, but the outside has to stay hard. It's just, it's really a special, it's, it's an art to make a tomato sandwich. And so I took the toast out and I, I took about a, probably about eight ounces of mayonnaise. And it's kind of like putting icing on a cake. It's not like spreading mayonnaise, you know. And you don't put the Miracle Whip, that's salad dressing. This is, I'm talking about mayonnaise, this is for a sandwich, right? And, I, and then I put the other on the other side and, and then I take the, and I take this thing and, and then Katie pulls my, pulls my jacket again and she looks up at me, I said, yes, honey, what? She said, Daddy, I love being at church with you. I love to hear you preach. It's fun when the church is full and there's lots of people. And I said, well, good, good, I like that too, Katie. And I took that. And then I took the salt and pepper. So you got bread, mayonnaise. And you put the salt and pepper on before you put the tomato on. If you're a tomato, tomato sandwich aficionado, you know this. I put it on there, and then, then I put the, the, man, you know, the tomatoes, and I put it in there. And when you put it together, it just all coagulates and turns into this beautiful kind of pinkish, reddish, blackish. Oh, it's amazing. And I was getting ready to take this bite. I thought about it all day long. I was ready, and, and Katie pulls on my jacket again, and she looks up at me. I looked at her and said, what? <laughs> she says, Daddy, I like doing all those things with all those people. But she said, Daddy, sometimes... I just love being alone with you. Just with you, Daddy. I love that. And when she said that, something happened in my soul. And all I could think about was how God must feel with us. We do all these things, and we're all in his presence in all these times. But sometimes your daddy just wants to be with you alone. And I think if there's one sin that I've seen committed more commonly among believers, it's the sin of prayerlessness. I don't know what it's like up here, but most Americans run so fast, well, they think it's a great honor if God gets them for a few seconds a day. I just want to remind us all that, you know, we're not here. God's not here for our utility. We're here for his utility. We're not here so that he might serve us. We're here that we might serve him. And it's really difficult to know how to serve God, to have the direction from God, to know how to feel about difficulty and challenges and stress and problems. It's hard to even know how to feel those things if you don't have time to hear from him. Most of us spend so much time reading books and doing sports and all these other things that there's really just no time left to be intimate with God. It's just too big of a burden. I want to talk to you about prayer. Luke 5, 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. It's almost like you could hear Jesus. He looks up at his daddy. And his daddy said, sometimes, Jesus, I just want to be alone with you. Jesus would get alone with the Father. You know how great Jesus was? You know how awesome he was? You know how holy he was? You know how powerful he was? You know how insightful he was? And he needed the presence of a living God to talk to him on a daily basis in intimacy. Jesus! 
You'd think that would just give you kind of intuitive, kind of natural, wouldn't you? It just kind of sends him, the Father, one, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was a human being, and he was as well as God, and he wanted to talk to the Father. We believe in the God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, that there are three personalities in one. And he needed to connect with the Father. If Jesus needed prayer, do you think we do? How many of you have a copy of the notes? How many do not have a copy of the notes? Everybody's got one. Good. If you do not have a copy of the notes, if you'd raise your hand, we may have some gentlemen to bring. Make sure you give them the one for Monday night. I think we have a Tuesday night one up there. Can we have a couple of our uh, helpers to help us hand out something? Just stand up real quick if you have, don't have a handout. I'd like for you to follow those if you want to. If you don't, just don't worry about it. Just raise your hand real high. Now, there aren't many. Well, you guys did a great job. There's only maybe three or four. There's a couple over here. Lady right here to your left. Okay, thank you very much. Not that that matters, but some people, they've got to have fill in some blanks to feel like they've been in church. I'm not that guy. But I want to accommodate. Thank you. I think we're good now. I want to share a couple other scriptures with you. I have a lot of very favorite passages on prayer. Uh, I want you to know that I love to play golf. I love being with my kids. I love being with my wife. I love eating good food. But I love nothing better than being alone with my father. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a burden to me, man. I look forward to it. And when I get have a hard day, I can't wait to get home and be with him. I need his presence. I'm so ungifted and untalented. I'm so weak and inadequate and inferior. Without him, I just don't have anything. I need him so desperately. If you don't need him, I fear that you've depended on the wrong things for your peace. And what you think of as joy is at such a low level compared to being in his presence. James 5, 13a says, is anyone among you in trouble? You should call the bank and take out a loan. That's our first step, isn't it? We get in trouble financially. The first thing we do is call our daddy or call our friend or call our bank. You know, it takes discipline not to do that. It takes discipline when you get in trouble for you to go to God first. In fact, many times in my life, God's been the last resort. I didn't want to bother him. <laughs> if my daughter needed something from me, she, it would never bother me. I just want to help her. I want to bless her. To think that it's some kind of a bother to God to go to him. Man, he's got it all. He's got everything. And if he runs out, he creates stuff. Amen. He's got everything that you need. He's got it all. It's right there. It's like, it's like having the greatest life coach in the world that you never talked to. But you read books about people who talked to him. It's one of those troubling things to me about the church today, and in, 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 at least in, in USA, I don't know about all of North America, but it troubles me when, when, I, when I know that people would f try to discover how to build their church and that their primary source would be a book, Deep and Wide by Stanley Jones, I, by, I mean by um, Stanley, Charles Stanley, or his son. Uh, what's his name? Andy Stanley. And I loved even, I read the book. I read, I read every book I can get my hands on that relate to how to do ministry. But that's not my primary source for revelation. That's not where I get my ideas for ministry. 
That's like a warmed over idea. I want to get my ideas from ministry from the guy that knows how to do ministry. Do you know that God's pretty good on the church? He's good. He knows what the church needs. He knows what will reach lost people. But sometimes we get so focused on talking to all the smart people that when we talk to God, it sounds like he's out of his mind. God, that doesn't fit into all my social structures. I'm afraid that won't work. As if God needs to learn from us. Again, let me just remind you, he is not here for our utility. He goes on. He said, if anyone's in trouble, let him pray. Listen to this. I love this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah, I love this passage. Elijah was a human like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. I just want to talk to you about having influence with the right people. It's really important who, who you influence. You know, we like to influence people. We like to get the important people in, under us and around us so that we can have influence, right? I mean, we do. Just think of it. I mean, your boss, you know, you kind of want to influence your boss properly, the people that pay your bills. We, we kind of like that idea. We like to influence the right people. And I just think, wow. Someone once said that the most, the most righteous people are the people that help people that can't hurt them or help them. They establish good relationships with people that can't help them or hurt them. I want you to know there's very few people in your life that can't help you or hurt you. We like to, we like to influence people. If someone can hurt us, we want to influence them so they don't hurt us. If someone can help us, we like to influence them so they help us. See, too often our relationships are established on the wrong premise. They're established on selfish principles instead of established on the kingdom of God and, and, and selfless principles. Elijah was interested in having influence with one person. Now, just think about this. You know, in that culture, that was an agrarian culture. Everybody, their life, their livelihood, their economy, everything depended on crops and animals. Everything. There was no technology. They didn't have cell phones. There was no other means of support or financial assistance. It all came from the, from the earth. In fact, their religions were built on the earth. They had a thing called fertility cults uh, where they would, they would get together and try to stimulate the God of the air and the God of the rain to come down and rain on the God of the earth. I mean, they had all these weird theologies because everything was based on the agrarian culture. And, and you know, there were a lot of people that prayed during that time and if you were a farmer or a rancher or, or you were raising cattle or sheep or goats and it didn't rain for six months, you know what you're going to probably do? You're going to probably pray to whatever, whoever your God is. You're going to be on your face saying, oh God, my kids are going to starve. We're going to go, we're going to die. We need some rain. Please bring rain. Probably thousands, probably millions of people were praying, oh God, bring rain. All the farmers, all the, all the ranchers, all the shep shepherds pray, oh God. And you know what? God responded to one guy. Because Elijah, he had influence with the right guy. <laughs> and when it was time to rain, Elijah prayed it would rain, and the right guy was influenced, and the rain came. Do you have influence with the right guy? 
I love all these texts, but I have a favorite. My favorite one is this one. I'd like for you to stand and read it together. Can we go to the next slide, please? There it is. Would you stand? I want you to read it real slow, and we're going to read it like I did. When I was in Albuquerque, I had a, a guy that played the organ. It was an African-American guy, and when I'd preach, he'd play the organ. If I'd hit a good note, something really good, he'd go, and I'd say it, so get a kind of, we'd pump each other up. So I'm going to kind of read this like, like you would if you were in an African-American church in the South, you know. They'd say, read, deacon. And the deacon would start reading. Let's read it together. You ready? Do not be anxious about anything. Hold on. Hold on. Now that's just stupid. Did you hear that? Anything? Come on. Paul, you're, you're, you're throwing rocks from a glass house. Anything? You mean when my daughter is in the, in, in the, in the hospital for six years, we have a quarter million dollars worth of debt because my daughter is not well and she's still sick? You mean I don't get to be anxious about that? Come on, Paul. You know, when Paul, when he was writing this, he was in prison. Not because he did anything wrong. He was in prison for the gospel. <laughs> Paul, Paul understood it. He's not throwing rocks from a glass house. Paul understands, I'm in prison for the gospel. And I'm telling you, if I'm getting ready to die for my faith, I'm still not anxious. Well, when I read that, I said, I want to know what Paul's got. How do you do that? How do you not be anxious? How do you not be anxious in the difficulties and the trials and the troubles of your life when the bills don't get paid and the, and the checks don't come in and you've lost your job? How do you not be anxious? This is absurd thinking. Well, you've got to be some kind of a fruitcake not to be anxious in those times. But Paul says not to be anxious. And here's what I think he gives. I think he gives us a prescription for anxiety. And I also think he gives us a prescription for effective and productive prayer. Let's read it again. I'm going to try to restrain myself. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you. The Scripture's become two great helps to me in my spiritual life. First of all, it's become a cure for stress. i got to tell you, sometimes, I didn't, I didn't tell you this, I told the pastor. When I was pastoring in Albuquerque, we came into a really difficult time. It was a tough time because we started really reaching a lot of lost people. And my good Nazarenes, they didn't, they didn't like it. They got a little bothered with it. We were bringing homeless people into church, and it kind of started stinking a little bit. We cleaned it up. But it seemed like God blessed us with more homeless people. And we had pews. And the homeless people would come in. We had showers for them. We'd give them showers and breakfast. And we had a thrift store. We'd give them clothes every Sunday. This was like a middle-income kind of a white church in, in, in the Southwest. And these people were pretty pristine type folk. They didn't appreciate that stuff. I had one guy come to me and said, Pastor, when are we going to start reaching to people like me? I said, brother, all the people like you are already going to church. We don't want to reach Christians. We're trying to reach people that aren't like you and make them like you. I didn't have the heart to tell him like Jesus. I don't know if I really wanted to be like him. Let's let that go. I had one guy leave my church. 
I saw him at, at, at Dunkin' Donuts. I used to love Dunkin' Donuts coffee until McDonald's started selling it for a dollar a cup. Then I loved McDonald's. And, and, and uh, I was at Dunkin' Donuts, and it was Mr. Lee was his name. He was an Asian guy, wonderful man. He hadn't been to church for three weeks. I met him at Dunkin' Donuts. I said, well, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. He was kind of cold, brisk with me. I didn't know what was going on. I said, man, I've missed you in church. How have you been? He said, I've left your church. I said, well, really? Why? He said, when you take the pews out, I'm out. You see, we, we took the pews out. And you know why we took the pews out? We took the pews out because they were really pews. Because the homeless people would do things on the pews. They would defecate on the pews and urinate on the pews and sometimes throw up on the pews. And we had those really nice pews that had the big thick pads on the bottom. <laughs> kind of absorb liquids and stuff, you know. And they had the big thick pads on the back that absorb liquids and stuff. And I, I, I said to him, I said, Lee, I really don't want you sitting in that. I said, but if we have chairs, we can take a chair out and clean it up and wash it up or maybe even throw it away. But it's hard to replace those pews. When the pews are gone, I'm gone, he said. In six years, we saw 500 Nazarenes walk out of our church. Some of these people absolutely, I didn't think it was possible for a Christian to hate another Christian, but I'm telling you, I felt hated. Hated like you can't imagine. In fact, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd hear noises. And I would tell my wife, Sherry, I think somebody's taking a contract out of my life. And it, I'm, I was very serious. That's how, that's how frightening that time was in my life. But I just got to tell you, I've never, ever, since I learned this passage, I've never, ever stayed awake at night. Not once. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Man. I'll tell you, when I talk to Jesus, everything's all right. It just, and it doesn't change anything except I've got him. I'll never forget one time I was having a terrible time. I went and I had this prayer place that I'd go to and, oh man, it was bad. We were having financial troubles because my daughter's medical conditions were horrible. And, and I, oh, I could tell you so many stories. It's like a thousand things had piled up. It was one of those days that if you didn't believe in God, you'd just kill yourself. You just would because there wasn't anything. You didn't see any hope. Everything looked like a house of cards and you were waiting for the last card to flip so the whole thing would fall. Have any of you ever been in that place in your life? I've been in that place. I was there and I, I remember, man, my wife and I were kind of arguing a little bit because I couldn't pay all the bills right then and we got to call collection agencies. I mean, we had a quarter million dollars worth of debt and I didn't have much of a salary in those days. I went to my little prayer place and I said, God, and I started listening. I said, my wife and I are fighting. We don't have the finances. My daughter's sick. She's never going to get well. She's going to be a paraplegic. She's not going to live long. I got people mad at me in the church. I've had about 100 people already leave this year. The finances are starting to drop. I just started piling the stuff on. And I told him all that. And then I just kind of got still. And I listened. And man, about 30 minutes, I'm sitting in there. And I could, I, it was like there was smoke in that car. The Holy Spirit came in there and the power of God was present and, and nothing changed but I was liberated and set free and I was, I was happy and joyful and, and, and I left that place but my daughter was still sick. Our bills has not gotten paid yet. My wife and I were still arguing sometimes but I had the peace of God. I had something that you can't explain it through activity. You can't explain it through stuff. It's kind of like old George W. Bush used to say it's kind of, it's like that fuzzy math. 
It just doesn't, you can't, doesn't add up. You're supposed to be mad. You're supposed to go crazy. You, 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 I'll, I'll never forget it. My daughter was in the hospital and I walked in and I, I tell you, I, I'd served God faithfully. I didn't know of anything in my life that was not pleasing to God at that point. Not being proud. I just didn't know of any sin. I didn't feel any shame or guilt. I was walking with him and I walked in and there Katie was in that room and she got all these wires and strings and she'd been in the hospital now for probably, I don't know, maybe seven months and it, does, it didn't look good. The prognosis was horrible. And I walked in there and, and over to the right there was this little perfect little healthy baby flipping around in the crib and my daughter was in this NICU unit all wrapped up. And some guy walks in with his girlfriend, not married. They're all tatted up and, and they, they, they smell of pot and they smell of cigarettes and alcohol and their clothes are kind of dirty and they're all nasty looking. And just, I knew they weren't serving God. They had a healthy baby. I got to tell you, sometimes in times like that, you know, you just, you see, if you, did, if you listen to the world, you think God wasn't fair. If you read the books, you'd think that God wasn't fair. If you talk to those smart people, even some pastors, they'd tell you, well, I understand that. But you know, when I read passages like this, I don't understand that. Because when I get with Jesus, it's okay. It's good. He takes me through. He carries me. I want to tell you that my daughter is perfectly well. She's, she graduated from Mount Vernon Nazarene University. She's working at the Nazarene Bible College. She's married to a preacher. They're on staff. They're winning people to Jesus almost every month. That's what God does. But there wasn't a doctor on the planet that would have diagnosed that. They wouldn't have prognosed that. No way. No, no way it would have happened. But God did. And I knew to trust him. This, this passage has also become a pattern of, in, a, in, a, in a prescription for me for, for how to have effective prayer. I want to take you through um, my patterns. This is what I do. Every day of my life, I committed... I committed to spending at least one hour every day of my life on my face before Jesus. This happened to me uh, several years back, probably, I think it was about seven years ago. I made a decision that I'm going to get alone with Jesus every day for one hour. Now, I, I, I don't do that because I'm spiritual. That's what you understand. I'm not, I'm not like some spiritual guy. In fact, I'm probably the least spiritual person you know. That's why I need that. You know, I, and I'm not very gifted at, that's not why I need, see, I need to pray. For most of you, y'all are more spiritual, more gifted than I'll ever be in my best day. So I got to pray like twice as much as most of you just to get as good as you are right now without it. I'm helpless. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I'm undone if God isn't in my life. I'm scared to death if I'm not covered by prayer. I want to talk to you about how I pray. When I pray in an hour, I break my prayer up into four sections, and this passage of Scripture has become the model for my prayer, and I want to share it with you because it's helped me to develop intimacy with God. It's been an amazing gift to me. So I break my hour prayer up into 15-minute segments, four of them. The first one I call the noisy stage. The noisy stage. Some of you know about that if you've ever prayed. Paul says, be anxious about nothing. So here's what happens when you go to pray if you haven't prayed. See, I think that developing a real intimate personal prayer life is like climbing a very tall, cold, lonely mountain. It's so much easier to just stay in the valley. It's so much easier just to live and 
Because when you start talking to God, he starts messing up your life. He starts messing with your schedule and he starts messing with your habits and, and your plans. And if, if, if you like your life, just don't pray. If you like the way things are, just don't do it. Just stay away from it. And you'll be fine and you won't have to worry about any shame or guilt. You can just go on and live your life and you'll deal with it when you stand before God. But for me, I want God to mess with my life. Because my life is a mess. I'm hopeless and helpless and undone without him. So in my first church, I was at Van Buren, Arkansas, and I was committed. I was going to spend an hour in prayer. Buddy, I was ready to go. I was fired up. I'd gone to a conference, and they talked about prayer. And I wrote down all my praises and all my requests and everything I ever thought I would pray about. And I, went, I got one of those little alarm clocks, the one that's around like that. It's got the little bells on it with a little thing in the middle at the top. And I set that sucker for an hour. I laid that prayer list down, and I knelt, and I began to bawl and squall and cry and sweat and slobber and scream. And I was crying out to God, and I cried out to God. I prayed for every prayer request I ever thought of. I praised God for everything I ever thought him for. I was just praising God and thanking God, and I'm all sweating, and I'm finally tired and exhausted. And I looked at the clock and it had been three minutes because I wasn't used to being in his presence you ever been around some people you just kind of want to get away from them that's not God you ever been around somebody that you just kind of want to be with them all the time I just want man can I just like move in with you could we like could I just sit down and listen to you talk for like hours please See, that's God. So here's what would happen when I try to pray all those years. I'd get down to praying, and as soon as I knelt down, I started thinking, I gotta write that check. I gotta pay that bill. I gotta write that letter. I gotta call that woman. I gotta call that man. I, I forgot to mail that letter. I forgot to call. I, 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 I mean, my brain gets filled with all this stuff. That's why I call it the noisy stage. See, most Christians never get past that in their prayer life. So you know what I did? I got smart. When I started going to prayer, I started taking a notepad with me. I wrote on the top of it, I wrote, to do today. Here's why. See, the devil is not very creative. So what he'll do, if you try to get really intimate with God and do it every now and then, he'll bring the same stuff up that you should have done 10 years ago. So I, I'm going to put on there, I'm going to do all this junk today, Satan. And so tomorrow when I get down, you're going to have to at least come up with some new stuff. And you're not very good at being creative, so I'm going to actually pray. And it worked. The noisy stage. I challenge you to get past that. Second part of my prayer life is a prayer with thanksgiving. Paul says, be anxious about nothing. But in all things, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So the greatest thing, I call this the praise stage. I take 15 minutes to just praise God. Just give Him glory. Man, it's just a wonderful thing. It's a great experience to praise God. I'm telling you. I'll start praising God. And every morning I wake up, before I get out of bed, I mean, I'm laying in bed. Now, sometimes I have to set my alarm clock to go off every five minutes for the first 30 minutes, and my wife hates that because I want to spend an hour in prayer and thank God for all the stuff I got before I start using it. He gave me legs. How dare I step on those legs and walk on them without thanking him for them? So I get, when I get up in the morning, I pray, I thank God I start with my toes. I do. It's crazy. I say, God, thank you for my toes. I've known people had their toe, the front of their feet cut off. It's hard for them to walk. Now, thank you for my feet. I like feet. Feet are good. I thank you for my ankles. I thank you for my calves and my knees. You know, people my age that have knee problems. They do. I thank you for my hips. I know people that they have hip problems my age. 
And I thank him for my esophagus, and I thank him for all my heart, my lungs, my liver, my kidneys. I go down the list, man, because I think they're wonderful. I thank him him for my neck and my spine and my my biceps and my triceps and my elbows and my wrist and my fingers and, and my head and my eyes and my mouth. I like having eyes. I thank him for my hair, both of them. And then, and then I, I thank him, this one I do every day, I thank him for my skin. Because if you didn't have skin, like everything would just fall out. I mean, I get to praising God and it could last for hours. Praise stage. Do you do that? This quote, I shared it with you the other day. What if you woke up this morning and all you had left is what you praised God for yesterday? What would you have? Just think about what you praised him for yesterday. Or think about what you didn't praise him for. What if you didn't have that? It'd be bad. I want to challenge you to be people of praise. You know what the word says? God inhabits the praises of his people. I'm telling you, when God inhabits you, you're going to be good. <laughs> it's like lean forward good. Y'all don't know what that is, do you? See, if you're in the South, you know what lean forward good is. It's because they use that as for peaches. They call them lean forward peaches. Because they're so good that when you bite into them, if you don't lean forward, you get it all over your shirt. It's lean forward good. That's the kind of good it is. Another quote on prayer. Praise makes what we have enough. Doesn't it? I hope that video is working. In a minute, we're going to show that video. One of the reasons we don't praise is because we tend to complain a lot. Let's see if that video plays now. That first one. I found something that'll help us with that. Can we get the sound up? Complaint zapper. Can we start over? Zap away your. There you go. This is something I found on the internet that'll help us with complaining. Go ahead. Complaint zapper. Zap away your negativity. Okay. Do not use if you are pregnant, have a heart condition, or wear braces. Guess I'm good to go. To test, hold in front and say something negative. Easy enough. Um, boy, this weather really stinks. Yikes. Whatever it takes. It's not very comfortable. Turn down the intensity a little bit. Let's give this thing a test run. Man, it is freezing out today. Okay, you know what? Stating a fact. Oh, stating a fact. Boy, this coffee is terrible. Don't freeze up on me now, you lousy. What's this? Stain? I can't keep one single thing. 
I know what you mean. That's just how he is, though. He's like, woe is me, my life is so terrible. <laughs> You gotta be kidding. This is unbelievable. I can't even get it. Oh, you miserable. It's green. Come on, lady. Will you move? Yes, hello. Is this the complaint zapper complaint center? Yes. I have a. I have a suggestion. I think your complaint zapper is far too sensitive. As a matter of fact, I think it's a piece of junk and I want my full... That's it. You're coming off. I'm done with you. Great. Now I'm gonna have this thing on for the rest of my stinking... Let's read this scripture together. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Amen. I think you can find those online. You probably know someone that needs one. Amen. Let me just remind you again. Praise makes what we have enough. Amen. So I challenge you to praise. Number three, the third part of my prayer life, the third 15 minutes I call the request stage. Paul says... Be anxious about nothing, but in all things through prayer with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present means to request, to make those requests. Okay, God, here's some things I specifically need you to help me with. I want you to know that it's okay to ask God for specific stuff. I, I wouldn't ask him if I, if, I got a, if I have a Volkswagen, I wouldn't ask him for a Lincoln or a Cadillac. But if you need something, if you need something, not go from a three-bedroom house when you and your wife are 70 to a six-bedroom house. That's probably not the thing to ask. But if you need something from God, ask Him specifically. It's an amazing thing when you start making requests to God. I, I've seen God do amazing things. I'll never forget it. When I was in Albuquerque, uh, we got in trouble. We built a building, and the guy that we hired to build the building, his name was Lukens. It was so close to Lucifer, I should have got the message. This guy, I mean, we hired the devil to do our building. And we didn't know it until after we got in the building. And it got so bad, we were towards the end of the building, and it was, it was bad. He called our, our, our district superintendent's wife a horrible name when she came to look at the property. He stole money. I had a contractor call me on a Wednesday morning. He said, Mr. Bain, he said, uh, you, your church owes us $100,000. I said, no, we don't owe you anything. We've been paying our contractor. I heard a story of another church that had this kind of experience. And uh, he said, I, I don't care if you have a contractor. You owe us $100,000. I've called your contractor 50 times. He won't answer his calls. I need the $100,000. He said, if I don't have the $100,000 by tomorrow at 4 p.m., I'm going to put a lien on your property. You'll never get any more loan money out for your, for, your, for your borrowed money that you're getting from the bank. It scared me to death. I mean, it was frightening. Thank God. I didn't call the bank. <laughs> I called my daddy. We had a prayer meeting that night after church. I didn't tell the church. I just pulled my staff aside and I said, guys, we need to pray. We need $100,000. We didn't have $100,000. We might have had $10,000 in the bank, maybe fifteen. dollars All of our money we'd spent on ministry. We didn't have a lot of money sitting around. And we prayed and we just said, God, would you provide for us? So we went to bed 
And I want you to know, I slept like a little baby in his mommy's womb. <laughs> Not anxious, no anxiety at all. I got that next morning and I got a call from a homeless guy. His name's Mark Pringle. He was a wonderful, wonderful, godly young man, but he had some mental problems and he thought the Koreans were always trying to poison him. He lived in one of our offices. He didn't live in a house. He lived in an office, just a little room, maybe 20 by 15. And he had a little bucket that he used for his waste because he was afraid if he went to a toilet, somebody would poison him from the water. And, he, and all, the, all of the vents in the room were taped over with, with um, duct tape because he thought somebody would send poison through the, through the he, would, he was antisocial. He didn't have a car. All he had was a bicycle. And we let him come and live in the church because he was homeless and it was winter and felt bad. And uh, he'd been there for some time. He called me the next morning about 1030 in the morning. He said, Pastor, he said, would you mind giving me a ride into the city? I got to do some business. Well, I didn't know why anybody would do business. It's homeless. What kind of business does a homeless guy have? <laughs> that was confusing. But so I picked him up and we went and we drive into the city. It's about 20 minutes drive. We were kind of out Nazarene Indian Bible College, just where we were at. We're driving into the city and he says, turn left here and turn right. And he says, turn into a bank. And I'm thinking, Lord, I know I prayed for $100,000. <laughs> but I didn't know I was going to be the getaway driver. You know, it's like, <laughs> I just didn't know. You know, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. I didn't know, so I'm all ready, man. I'm dropping him off. I got that dude in first gear. I'm ready to go. And here he comes out of the church bank. Sure enough, he was quick, quick in his steps. He had a, two envelopes in his hand. He gets in the car. <laughs> I'm ready. He says, Pastor, and he hands me an envelope. He said, the Lord, the Lord told me, to give you this. Open it up. There's a $65,000 check in it. It's a cashier's check. I said, I mean, you got to understand, I'm, I don't know, I'm confused. I said, okay. And he said, he gave me a second envelope. He says, this, this is a check for $100,000. He said, the first check is, is a gift. The second check is, is a loan. I was praying this morning. The Lord said, I needed to do this for you. He said, you don't have to ever worry about paying interest, and you pay it back when you get it. There's no pressure, no contract. I just believe God wants me to do this. How do you explain stuff like that? That's that fuzzy math stuff that Bush talked about. It doesn't add up. There's no human way to explain all this stuff. The guys, this really happened to me. This really happened. He said the, the first check for 65000 he said, you don't know this, Pastor. My father was in oil in Houston. He died about three months ago, and he left me a quarter million dollars. He had it laying in the bank. I felt bad taking it. I felt guilty. It's a homeless dude, man. You take, take $165,000 from a homeless dude? That's just wrong. I figured if God did it, I could take it. <laughs> I wasn't going to, hey, I'm not going to dishonor God, you know. You don't want to be disobedient, you know. 
So what I'm trying to tell you is if you pray specific prayers and you really importune and you really approach the throne of God, you will be amazed at what God can do. You'll be amazed what God. God does amazing stuff. The fourth part of the prayer, I call it the listening stage. He says, be anxious about nothing, but in all things through prayer with thanksgiving, present your request. Now, before we get into this stage right here, I want you to pause. I want everybody to stand up. So I want to go back to just the, 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 the third stage. If you take D off of there, just back it up one or two clicks. There you go. Request stage, all right? So request means asking God for something. So what I want you to do is I want you to put your hands out like this. And I want you to think for a minute, what's the one thing that hinders your faith the most? Is it some kind of a habit? Something you do when the lights are off and no one else is around? Is it something you look at? Something you think about? Is it your schedule? Is it that you don't pray? The request stage. What I want you to do right now is I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to say, God, I'm going to put that thing in my hands. I want to put that thing in my hands that I know is keeping me from being deeper with you. Would you do that? Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just symbolically put whatever that thing is in your hand. Just drop it in there just like you would a marble. Hold it close because it matters a great deal to you. It's going to be hard for you to let him have that thing. Now, if you click that slide now back up to the other two, I want you to look up. He says, receive. Receive or present. Present means to give. All right, so present. So I want you to take that thing. I just want you to turn your hands upside down. And just whatever that thing was that's preventing you from being the person that God wants you to be, let that go. See, the word present is what we do when we dedicate a baby. We, we don't know how to raise this baby. We, we give it back to God. Say, God, you're going to have to I present this baby to you. It's your baby. You're going to have to help me raise this. You've got to give those things to God. And then it says receive. I love this. This is my favorite part of it. And go on to the next slide. And you can, I mean, stay right there on that slide. You can be seated. Thank you. The last part of my prayer is the hardest part of prayer that you'll ever do. The listening stage. So you can't receive if you don't listen. You can't receive if you don't listen. If, if you're always, see, here's the problem with our prayer life. We're always talking. We're always telling God what we need and how he needs to fix this and fix that. And sometimes we ask God to fix that person. Don't we? Somebody say amen and ouch. Yeah. You know, every time I go to prayer and I bring somebody to God and I say, God, you need to fix them. You know what he says to me every time? He says, Mark, I'd like to do that, but I'm not talking to them right now. <laughs> the only person I can work on right now is you, buddy. <laughs> we're going to fix you. And I'm saying, dang, come on, I knew you were going to say that. He does it every time. Listening stage. Do you hear from God? Do you know when God tells you to do something? I don't know if for you it's verbal or audible or it's emotional. But I got to tell you, when, when God speaks, he usually makes it pretty clear. And I don't think he stopped talking in the Bible. You know, you just go back and read where God was talking to Moses there in Exodus. And it says, Moses comes to this burnt book, burning bush. It doesn't burn. It's not consumed. And, he, and the thing starts talking to him. He calls him by name. Hey, Moses. He walked over. And the Lord spoke to him through the bush. And he said, I've heard the cries of my people and I want to send you as a deliverer. He said, I'm the wrong guy. 
God said, let me explain. Moses says, no, I'm the wrong guy. God says, let me explain. He said, but who am I going to tell him sent me? He said, I'll explain it to you when you go. I am who I am. I'll show you who I am. He says, but how will they know? What's the sign? And Moses, he says, what's that in your hand? And it's a staff. He throws it down, turns it to a snake, picks it up, comes a staff. So God, Moses has all these excuses and all these reasons why he can't do the will of God. Moses is just like us. I, I tell you, I wish more Christians argued with God. Because if they'd argued with him, at least there's some evidence they're talking to him. Amen. I think it's okay to argue with God as long as you let him win. <laughs> Jesus argued with God. He spent 4,000 years in heaven waiting. Then he came to the earth, and he knew for 4,000 years he was going to come to die. Jesus knew it. He knew it from the foundation. He knew it when the first prophecy was given when he said, your seed will crush his seed's head and your seed will bruise his seed's heel. Jesus knew he was coming 4,000 years before he came. He knew why he was coming. He knew he was coming to die. He came. He lived 30 years. He did three years of ministry. He got his brains beat out. In the night before he was supposed to die, he didn't want to. Jesus. So I just want to tell you, if you don't want to do the will of God, it's not weird. Not even, Jesus said, God, there's got to be another way. So, could you take this cup for me? I can imagine some of the things that Jesus must have said that night. He probably said to God, hey, God, look, dude, I'm only 33. Look what we've done in 33 years. Imagine what could happen if I had 70 years worth of this. Well, Jesus was a human being. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways like we were, yet without sin. I think Jesus thought some of the things, same thoughts that you and I thought. You know, Jesus had every fleshly organ in his body that you have. <laughs> but he stayed in the conversation. He listened. And he waited. You know why I think Jesus was able to make it through the cross? That horrible, agonizing pain, the shame. Oh, you and I, we could handle some shame and pain. Because we deserve it. We all know we deserve hell yesterday. Everybody on the planet deserves hell yesterday. If you live another day, you've been blessed by God. But Jesus didn't deserve it. He had no shame. He had no guilt. He took on your shame, my shame, my guilt. Amen. He didn't need, I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd be saying, God, wait a minute. And he did that. But he stayed in the conversation and let the Father win. See, if you're not listening to God, what you're going to do is you're going to go to God. He's going to ask you to do something crazy, and you're going to explain to him that you have the wrong personality and leave, and you're not going to wait to hear him tell you that that's not a good excuse. And you just go on not doing the thing he called you to do because you didn't stay in the conversation long enough for him to tell you why it's so valid that you do it. Listening stage. Paul says if we do this, here's the, here's the favorite part. <laughs> this is the best part. Paul says... Be anxious about nothing, but in all things, through prayer with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He said, if you'll do that, are you ready for this? He said, the peace of God that doesn't make sense. The peace of God that it transcends understanding. It's, it, it's, it's fuzzy math. The peace of God that doesn't add up. The peace of God when everybody else in the room is running around with their hair on fire, you're the adult in the room. Why? Because, because you're, you've been with Jesus, and you know it's going to be okay. I remember, I remember that day when I stood in front of that window, and I watched Katie dying 
in this sick, drug addict, drunk, smoking person who was living with his girlfriend with a healthy baby. I went and I prayed that night and I thought God was going to come and just hug on me and love on me and say, Mark, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I'll hurt that kid too. No, I didn't want him to say that. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He said, he said, Mark, let me see the nail prints in your hands. Show me the, the thorn prints on your head. You see, he said this to me. I said, I guess I, said, I, guess I can handle this. Because <laughs> God is bigger than what's the matter. You've sang the song, he gives peace in the midst of the storm. Though I'm, though I'm blown and just destroyed by, war, by the world and by life. See, what sets a Christian apart is we have something that nobody on the planet has that doesn't have Jesus. We have a peace that transcends understanding. It doesn't make sense. When our kids are sick, we don't go, oh, no, our kids, we go, God's going to take care of this. And the world looks at us and notices. See, people that are in prayer can handle a lot. That's why we can't handle much. We get upset if our tea doesn't have enough ice in it. I call it stupid faith. See, if you really pray this prayer that Paul gives us in Philippians, it doesn't make sense. You're like, I mean, people will come to you and they'll say, what is wrong with you? I've had people tell me this when I was pastoring in St. Louis and people were getting shot every week. In Kansas City, God called me to go down and preach to the 30s, which is a horrible place. There were five homicides there in the last three weeks. And I go and cook on that street where the five people were killed every Friday. The first time I went down there to do it, my staff said, my staff, they said, Pastor, don't go down there. You're going to die down there. And I said, if I die, I die. And I die doing the will of God because I know that he told me to go there. And I didn't die. I'm alive and well because I knew it was the will of God. And if I did die, it's because God wanted me to die. Well, you can't imagine somebody saying something that crazy. Well, funny thing is we think he loves us more than he did his own son. He let his son die, but he won't even let us, our tea get cold. Getting some perspective here? See, what intimacy with God does, it gives you another worldly perspective. Because see, if we're really the people of God, we're not, we don't belong here. The things that make other earthly people happy aren't the things that make us happy. We don't get nearly as happy over a check as we do over 15 minutes of time with Jesus. We don't get nearly as happy over a brand new car as we do with an hour with Jesus. But tragically, our joy rests in the wrong things. And we end up falling in love with the creation instead of the creator who's forever praised. Amen. Prayer accomplishes what nothing else will accomplish. I'm going to share with you some points and we're going to be done. Prayer puts us in touch with the primary source. Are you in touch with the primary source? Do you get answers that you can't find in a book or from a doctor or from a therapist? Because God made all of those. We depend too much on secondary sources, ladies and gentlemen. We need to get to the source. But tragically for most of us, we've never heard God because we've never taken the time to listen. Number two, prayer gets us in touch with God's will for our days and our lives. I love that scripture that says, 
Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, see, prayer, if you want to talk about the word of God, you know what the purest form of the word of God is? Here it is. When you're on your face before God and the living God speaks to you personally about your personal life. I love to read the word of God. I love to read what he gave us. But he didn't stop talking when he wrote the book. <laughs> he still talks. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, prayer takes away our fears. I think most Christians are living this fearful, anxious life, hoping they can just hold on until Jesus comes. We've allowed the world and the devil and even sometimes the church to kind of put a lid on us and to keep us from being the people of God that God wants us to be. We live these halfway lives, living our lives, limping and wounded in service because we've not been in presence with Jesus. And when that happens, you start believing what the world says, that a Christian's just another religion, that you're just like everybody else. You're no different. You, you don't serve a different God. You serve everybody else's God. Now, we believe there's one God, and he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. And if we believe that, then what will happen is the lid will start being lifted. I want to show you a video that illustrates that. These requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behaviour is now set for the rest of their lives. And when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically follow their example. Question. Are we listening to the people that put the lid on or the one that made the jar? You know, the Word of God teaches us be not conformed to the patterns of this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then if you'll do that, you'll be able to test and prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of the Father. Are you listening? Who are you listening to? Oh, you're just a regular old, you're an average Christian. There's no such thing as an average Christian. They don't exist. Every Christian is supernaturally filled with the power of the living God. That's what the Christians are. Christians are unique. We have the power of God in us. The Holy of Holies, think of it. You remember the Holy of Holies? You remember that? that, that the Ark of the Covenant, it's inside the Holy, inside the center of the temple. The Holy of Holies, there was so much power in that thing that if somebody touched it, they'd be stricken dead. If it was in a city and the city didn't obey God, the city would have a curse on it. If it was in a city and they obeyed God, it would be blessed. The power of the living God, it dwells in you. That everywhere you go, you take that thing with you. And when you're around lost people, they know there's something wrong. They can tell. It, it changes things. Prayer gives us confidence. Prayer gives us power. I'm talking about the right kind of power. I'm talking about the kind, you know that scripture when Jesus was walking out of the city and looked at his disciples and he said, oh, if you had faith, this is a grain of mustard seed. 
And he said this. He said, if you say that mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, it'll be done if you believe it. Paul talks about that power. Acts talks about you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, we believe in that kind of power. I, I've, I've talked to Nazarenes all over the, the, the country. Many countries. They believe that we can move mountains. They do. Well, they, they, if they had the right committee, and we had a million Nazarenes, and a million shovels, and a million pickup trucks in a million years, we could move that mountain. Whew. That's not what he's talking about. That's humanistic power. Everybody's got that. You can work a little harder, be a little stronger. See, the power he's talking about is the Greek word for power is dunamis. It's explosive power. It's a power that moves the mountain right now. Because you've been with Jesus and you know that he has that power. But see, if you've not been with Jesus, you're listening to the lid. Last, last point. Prayer leads to mission. It's inconceivable to me, and we're just about done, and everybody said amen. It's inconceivable to me that a person could talk to the Heavenly Father who has billions of children lost and him not tell them about those kids. See, if somebody tells me that they spend a lot of time praying and they're not on mission, I doubt they're praying. Well, they may be praying, but they're probably not listening. Because I got to tell you, I got two girls, two daughters, Katie and Kelly, and if they were not Christians and they were lost and I was their father and they lived in Toronto and I knew you were a Christian, you and I wouldn't talk very long, I promise you. For I'd be bringing their names up to you. <laughs> I'd be saying, would you please go talk to Katie? She doesn't know Jesus. I'm afraid she's going to end up away from God for eternity. Would you please go talk to Katie? Let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say, Pastor, at some point in my life, I've prayed that God would send someone to a lost loved one of mine. How many of you would say, stand up if you have, all over. I want you to stand. I, I've prayed for a lost loved one that God would send someone to them. How many of you have prayed that prayer? Oh, God, would you send someone to my lost friend or my lost loved one somewhere in the world? You've prayed that prayer. Anybody else, just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar on this. I'm just trying to get you to respond. Let me ask you a question. You're praying. You expect God to send somebody. You think there's somebody in Africa or Barbados or Georgia or California or Nassau that's praying that God would send a Christian to a loved one in Toronto? You think he is? I think there are. And don't you think, if you're talking to the Heavenly Father, that you won't have to talk to Him very long before He says, you know, some of my kids are in your city and they're lost. I want you to go get them. I want you to go tell them about me. See, prayer leads to mission. I don't know if you believe that, but it does. Prayer leads to mission. I want to close the service by having you just bow your heads. You can stand if you'd like, everyone. I just want to ask you a simple question tonight. When's the last time you were in so, so much of God's presence that was better than any cathartic, emotional, or physical experience you ever had in your life? For most Christians I've ever talked to, they, they never know a time like that. Some have. We ought to have those days every day. 
for most of us, we wouldn't know the voice of God from the voice of Andy Stanley. But I want you to know that there's a living God that still talks. And I believe that he's calling on us today. My sister Hope, you can open your eyes and we're going to close the service after this. My sister Hope, you see, I left home. I was a young man. I went to college when I was 19. My, I had four sisters that were under eight when I left home. And I just didn't think about them because I had 13 kids in my family. I had plenty of siblings that I knew. I didn't think about them. And my sister Hope, she'd call me every now and then. She said, Mark, when are you going to come home? We'd like to see you. She grew up. I didn't get home much. I remember... I remember going home just not too long ago and I got to be with Hope. And she said, she said, Mark, you don't know how much I've missed you and your life. She said, I, I remember when you'd say you were going to come home and you didn't come home and I wanted to get to know you and I wanted to know who you were and I never did. And, and man, she said, it's like I have another, a new brother. Four weeks ago, I went back to Newport News, Virginia after being, having a good relationship with her and Hope gave her life to Jesus. She did. You know what I think? I think somebody was praying. I think somebody was praying, oh God, would you send someone to Hope? <laughs> I was in Kansas City. I had to cancel a trip to go over there. Could you hear God tell you to do something like that? I bought like a $700 ticket to fly to Virginia when I was supposed to go to another event. Almost lost my job over it. Do you hear from God enough to know that He can make you change your schedule? He can make you change some habits and behaviors in your life? Or, or have you not heard from Him that clearly? I just want to challenge you. God, sometimes He just wants to be alone with you. So I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you a simple invitation tonight. You'd say, I'm a Christian. I love God, but I'm afraid God probably, He probably wants more of my fellowship. If there's a sin I'm guilty of, it's probably that I'm not praying enough, Brother Mark. And I'd like to commit to God tonight that I'm going to change some habits and some behaviors in my life. And prayers have become a higher priority to me than it's ever been in my life. I want some courageous Christians to step out of their seats and come down here to this altar. And we're going to say, God, I'm going to change my prayer life. I want that kind of intimacy. This doesn't mean you're unspiritual. This, the most spiritual people on the planet are going to come to this response. Because a believer wants to be intimate with God. They want to hear His voice. They want to hear Him talk. They want to sense His presence. They want to know His power. God, I want to change. I'm going to change some schedule. I'm going to stop watching football. I'm going to stop watching whatever ice hockey. I'm going to stop. I'm going to change something. I want that intimacy. I want that kind of peace. I want to be the, the adult in the room when everybody's running around with their hair on fire. I want to be that guy because I want to represent Christ. That's what Jesus was. That's what Paul was. Paul's in prison, about ready to die, and he says, "Be anxious about nothing." Wouldn't you like to have that kind of peace? It's kind of a stupid piece. But you can't get it anywhere but from Him. I'm going to give you one more invitation and we're going to close the service. There's some people here tonight that you know you don't have that kind of intimacy. A lot of people go to church and they just do it because it's their experience, it's their history, it's what they've done it's from their child. But you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus tonight. I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one look around.
you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight. There's some things in your life that are, that are blocking you from hearing God, and you know it. And you need to ask God to forgive you of those things tonight. You need to come down and say, God, I want to I reestablish. I want to establish maybe for the first time that relationship. If you'd like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight that you don't have, I'd like for you, no one looking around, please everyone bow your heads. I just want you to slip your hand up. I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I'd like one. Would you just slip your hand up? I've been in church. Thank you. I'm around here, but I know I don't have the right relationship with God. Anybody else? Thank you for those who raise your hand. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Well, an ancient proverb says, the longest journey in all the world starts with the first step. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you, if you raise your hand, to come to this middle table. I'd like to pray with you tonight. There are several that raise their hands. If, if you'd be embarrassed to come, it's okay. You don't have to. But if you're willing to come and you want to establish a relationship with the living God, I want you to come right down here. And thank you very much. Pastor, can I get you to come over and join us on this side? Somebody else, you slipped your hand up. I want you to know this is a safe place for you. If you want to establish a relationship right now, tonight's the night. I want you to come right here to the middle of this sanctuary. And I want to pray with you. Please. <laughs> There's a wonderful Savior that can't wait to get all up in your life and give you amazing relationship and amazing peace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, for my brother and sister. I want to establish contact. I want to connect with the living God. They know they need it, Lord. There's this thing in them that knows they need you in ways they've never experienced you before. And I pray in the name of Jesus right now for my brother and sister that your Holy Spirit would come into their lives. And Lord, we pray that you would come into the lives of every person in this room and you would begin to give every one of us an idea of what we need to do to get our lives back on track, to climb that lonely, cold mountain of intimacy, to get on the top where we can see the world because you're on the top. I pray that you would touch my brother and sister, Lord, that every person in this room would confess to you that we've been in places we shouldn't be We've focused on things that weren't important. We've allowed the urgent to crowd out the essential. And our intimacy and our personal prayer life with you has been diminished. It's like every time we get with you, we have to reestablish the relationship. Because we're with you so, so little. Pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would bring to each of us a hope and a promise that we can have a better relationship with you than we've ever had before. I pray that every person in this building, Lord, would say, I'm going to change something. And in their mind, they would take that thing right now that they do that needs to go away. It's watching a TV show or it's, or it's, it's a, going to a game or it's some other activity that, that, that they do that hinders them from having the ability to spend intimate time with their living God. I pray that we would, we would give you intentional time, Father, to be with you. We love you and we thank you for this time and for this place, for the privilege of your presence. In Jesus' name. Pastor, would you... Uh